Today's reading is from Isaiah, chapters 61 and 62. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Terry. Grace and peace to you this morning. Christmas is not just a day, it is a season of 12 days, and we are right in the middle of it today. And celebrating Christmas, of course, would be inconceivable without the Christmas songs. This is a time of year when we are surrounded by song. Carol, carolers go door to door. Every recording artist eventually cuts a Christmas album. And even folks who attend church one time and one time only all year still know every verse to O Little Town of Bethlehem and Silent Night. Songs are everywhere this season. But it's not just that we sing a lot at Christmas. That wouldn't seem to be enough. Have you ever noticed what Christmas songs are about? Yes, Jesus being born, obviously, but also Christmas songs are songs about singing. It's not enough to sing. We have to sing about singing songs. It's as though they're afraid we'll miss the point. Take a glance at the songs we have today in worship. Good Christian friends rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Or in your little ones, dear Lord, are we, we sing with songs we hasten you to greet. And later ask God, in paradise, our songs renew and praise you as the angels do. After I preach, we'll sing a version of Mary's song, the great Magnificat, saying, I sing my Savior's praise. During communion, we'll join together in It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, which ends with this poignant vision. Peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and all the world give back the song which now the angels sing. And lest we not put too fine a point on it, we'll close with The Bells of Christmas, a hymn whose final three stanzas are all about singing. <laughs> so why is that? 
Why does Christmas lend itself to singing and to singing songs about singing? Christmas is a time of integration. It's a time of connection. And it's a time of integration and connection between heaven and earth as God, who is eternal and immortal, comes into time and space in the birth of Christ. The Gospel of John describes this as the eternal word which was present at the first moments of creation, becoming flesh, becoming part of that creation. At Christmas, the boundaries between heaven and earth get a lot more blurry. Christmas is about looking about all over this earth and finding God here. It's about the finite being able to contain the infinite, and it's about God's refusal to draw a sharp line between our bodies and our souls. And what could be a better sign of that union between body and spirit than song? Singing, too, is about integration and connection. On the one hand, singing is about as bodily a thing as you can get. It's the air we breathe rubbing up against our vocal cords, flesh against flesh. That's what makes song. Yet it's more than that, too. Songs stir things deep within us. Memories, yearnings, hopes, regrets. Music touches places that we tend to keep hidden from others, even ourselves. This fleshy activity of singing reaches into our very souls. And this is what Christmas is all about. It's about God's love for our bodies and our souls alike, and how both are involved in the salvation God has won for us in Jesus. Sometimes Christianity gets a bad reputation of only caring about people's souls, only caring about what happens to us after we die, and we regard the flesh, the body, people's bodies with suspicion. But at Christmas, it's about Jesus' birth. And we look at God taking on a body. Incarnation, that's the theological word for it. Incarnation, sharing the same root word as carne, like carne asada, meat. The meatiness of God in Jesus. And so when we sing, when we use our meaty, fleshy bodies to point to something eternal and beautiful, we're celebrating Christmas. We are bearing witness to God's holy and holistic salvation brought about in the person of Jesus Christ. But here's the really radical part about singing and Christianity. When we sing about the hope we have in God, 
When we raise songs of thankfulness for what God has done for us, we're doing more than just bearing witness to what God has done in the past. When we sing, we're becoming a part of what God is still doing here and now and into the future. God uses our song to accomplish God's purposes. Now, in the Greek, there is no distinction between the word for spirit and the word for breath. Pneuma. It's all the same. And this is instructive, because then singing becomes this model for our faith in general. When we sing, we start by inhaling. We take in breath. We take in spirit. We receive of God and of God's goodness. Every breath we take is a gift for which we did not labor. Every breath is a sign of God's presence with us. And then we sit with that breath, with that spirit inside of us. We are filled with God, and we know that God sits within us, bringing us life. And then, from that fullness, from that knowledge of the Spirit within us, we sing God back out into the world. We sing and put the Spirit back out. And that combination of that breath, that Spirit, and our flesh makes a song. When we sing, our bodies give voice to God's goodness and grace. And when our songs are truly songs of both flesh and spirit, when our songs are rooted in the hope of God, they become part of what, is, what God is doing among us now and into the future. Because God's spirit... God's breath, God's breath that we breathe in and sing back out, it's always a spirit that bears hope, a spirit that is active in bringing life to a hurting world. In Isaiah this morning, we hear the prophet say, I will not keep silent. I will not rest until vindication for Jerusalem, which has been war-torn and oppressed shines like the dawn. The prophet Isaiah knew that his song wasn't an idle tune. It was a part of the way that God was changing the earth. The songs of the church are like this too. They are part of how God brings God's vision of hope into the world. And God's hope is so fantastical that it almost needs to be sung to be believed. Hope this wild needs to have music underneath it for it to really stir our hearts into believing the visions of God's reign that the rest of the world sees as impractical, far-fetched, or naive. Consider Mary's song, which we are going to sing after this sermon, how would you go about merely speaking its sentiments, 
saying in polite conversation that you are praying and working and hoping for a world where the lowly take the places of power, the hungry are filled with good things, and the rich are sent off unfed. You'll be lucky if you're ridiculed, let alone run out. But when you sing these same things, God creates faith and hope within you as you sing them, and the visions become more real, something almost within your reach. When we sing songs together as a church, I dare to let my heart dream of things that it wouldn't do otherwise. Things that the world considers foolish, but that I know God is longing for. What would a world look like without prisons, I think? What would a world look like without debt? What would a world look like without war, without family strife, without grudges, needless illness, without grief? This kind of world seems impossible to imagine. When we're not singing, our brains make peace with the world as it is. But songs have carried change into the world before, and they can do it again. This February, our chancel choir here at Mount Olivet will be partnering with a number of other community choirs and school choirs to remember the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. by singing songs and spirituals used to win civil rights and freedoms for African Americans in this nation. These songs are familiar to us now, but when they were first sung, they must have seemed pretty audacious. Can you imagine how ridiculous it must have sounded for slaves to sing of a day when they would sit at the welcome table? They owned no tables of their own. They were considered property just like a table would be. And yet they sang. And through their song, God's hope was present and God made a way. Or can you imagine how ludicrous it must have been for early opponents of segregation to sing that God was on their side and that they shall and will overcome someday? The whole culture, the whole legal system, the whole police force was against them. And yet they sang. And through their song, God's hope was present and God made a way. What do you hope for in our world or in your life that seems so ridiculous or ludicrous that it can only be hoped for through song? Find a song to house that hope and then sing it boldly. It's Christmas, and this is the time that the church dares to sing our wildest hopes. For God has come close to the world and to you. God's hope will be present in your song, and God will make a way. Amen.